Amen. Please be seated. Well, I would be dishonest if I said to you that I'm not a little disappointed when more women of our church aren't here to hear the preaching about women in regard to Scripture. We don't. You're a woman, glad to see you here. A couple of ladies here in the back here as well. Um, we're not going to naturally know the things that are given in Scripture apart from reading it, apart from preaching it. And we desperately need that information. Um, and even by the illustration, uh, a couple of times when Kimberly will watch the kids and we'll be talking and I'll be like, wait, you weren't in worship service for that, were you? And there'll be a hole in her understanding. And uh, so it actually does make a significant difference, not to pick on you, but just, just by way of a reminder and refreshing, we want to be here. Uh, this information for women is important, it's critical, and I'm going to naturally think this way. You have the most conservative points in the world, and they won't actually think these things. Even if they've been over them, we need to be a reminder of these things. So uh, do take the notes, make sure you share with them, go over these scriptures with them, talk to them about these truths. Um, it's important for our knowledge, important for our understanding. So we're looking at, really, first of all, in our study through the book of Ephesians, God's design for women beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Before we even get into that particular passage, we are looking at God's design for marriage, and we're not quite finished with that. And so we're going to actually look at reason number four in regard to why God has given marriage, and that is for the purpose of training up children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Training up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian parent. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, and uh, we'll see how far we get into the notes. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that um, there would be across the world in the hearts of your people a, a deep, profound, rich understanding of the benefit of reading the Word not just uh, self-directed reading, but exposing ourselves to good sermons, being in the midst of God's people as we open the word together. Those are special ordained times that I believe you reward your people for being present for those in a way that goes beyond even our own, our own time of listening on the radio or streaming online. But are irreplaceable. And so, Father, I, I do pray that for the ladies who are not here tonight, that the husbands be able to take home the material and the notes and review them with their wives. Um, this is important for young ladies and old ladies as well, and everyone in between. We need to know these particular truths, and these are truths we need to know as men also, to understand your design for marriage, and I pray that you would work mightily and uh, powerfully to transform us through the Word of God. And we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, again, God has reasons and purposes for marriage, one of those being that parents would know how to train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Part of that, of course, is the child's being brought to church day after day, week after week, year after year, and they're growing up years. And that is important and critical to their own spiritual health and well-being, first for salvation and then for sanctification. And God would have the church be a part of the training of children. But they cannot replace the parent training the child in the scriptures, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is a, a key part of marriage that literally generation after generation after generation after generation of believers would be teaching and training their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And this is the duty of the parent. Uh, many of you may not be aware of this, but prior to, oh, about a hundred and something years ago, Sunday school classes did not exist anywhere in any church. Not that they're wrong, but that especially graded Sunday school classes didn't exist in any church anywhere. And one of the common concerns of the pastors and theologians when those involved in children's education began to propose these graded children's Sunday schools were number one, they were concerned that children would stop being involved in the main worship service. And we certainly have seen that in churches. A lot of churches remove the children from the main worship service. I don't think that that's good. Another result of that is that the, uh, the children would be um, neglected in their training, their spiritual training by their parents. A lot of parents sort of farm out their children to the church and assume the church is teaching their children all that their children need to know. But there should be a concerted effort on the part of the parent to teach their children the gospel and theology and sound doctrine, as Jesus said in his great commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And when Jesus says, teach them all that I commanded you, he doesn't mean merely the red letters, uh, red letter words of the New Testament when some of our translations will add red letters where Jesus speaks. He means all of scripture because all of scripture is called the word of Christ. There is a duty upon the parents, especially the father, to make sure that he knows how to teach and train his children in theology and in sound doctrine. This is part of the purpose for marriage, that children would train up children in the ways of the Lord. Of course, God is the one who has called us to bring forth children into the world. Genesis 1.28 says that God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, uh, <clears throat> be fruitful and multiply. In Psalm 127, verses three and five, we're told also that children are a gift from the Lord. And Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so we, we want to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six to eight. It says this, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. In other words, literally, when God says to the people of Israel, teach them diligently to your sons, he means to parents, teach your children, both male and female, teach them diligently the word of God. Talk of them when you sit in your house. One of the things that uh, is important for parents and their children in the household is that as they're going through life, as they're sitting in the household, that they would not only have times of family worship, but that their home would be a place where everything about life and reality is talked about in relationship to God, in relationship to divinely revealed truth. So that in the Christian home, there really shouldn't be a secular time. Secular means of the world and apart from God. There shouldn't be these seasons where we are not directing our children toward the things of the Lord. Small things, big things, all of life, we're to make sure we're training them in the things of the Lord. Every question, every challenge, every thought, every perspective is to be evaluated according to the truth of the word of God. And this becomes the parent's duty and responsibility before the Lord to actively teach and train their children and then their grandchildren as well. As you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, in other words, as you go through life together, you are talking to your children about the things and the ways of the Lord and not just cutesy stuff either, but you are training them in rich, deep theology. And uh, little children can understand way more than we think they can, especially if you expose them to deep truth early on. They tend to pick up on those things. You want a kid with a big vocabulary, well, sit them in front of R.C. Sproul when they're in their baby seat, like we do with Stephen, and uh, they're gonna pick up on those things eventually. Um, Part of the problem with graded education is that you, you only try to give them truths they can understand at that level. The one-room schoolhouse is a much better model because the kid is not only being exposed to things far above their ability, but the older kids are being reminded by things they have already covered before. And so by gathering all the children together, as you gather the church together, as you gather your family together, there is to be this broad exposure to great truths, deep truths, simple truths, and, and childlike truths, you get the whole range of them. And when you do that, you end up with a child who very early on is, is incredibly familiar with biblical truth. There's one of the worst things to hit education is, is graded education. There is a place for that, but that we, we just separate out kids and we don't ever expose them to truths above their level. But the more you not only hit them at their level, but above their level, the quicker they're going to advance and grow in wisdom and knowledge and godliness. And so for the parent, you have this opportunity of the child being in your home. So when you're sitting around the table, when you're walking through life, it says when you lie down, uh, when you rise up. It's important, I think, with children to pray with them as they go to sleep, maybe read them the scriptures in the morning and the evening. Pray with them in the morning and the evening. Talk to them about the things of the Lord in the morning and the evening. 
It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your head, hand and shall be frontals on your forehead. This is why you see certain Jews put boxes on their hands with scripture and boxes on their foreheads with scripture. That is to quite miss the point. What he's saying is in, with your, all your work, all that you do with your hand, you are to show your children how to do that thing for the honor and glory of the Lord. When, when you speak of the frontals of the forehead, the speaking of your mind, you show your children how to think. You're, you're guiding them in how to think in every aspect of life. And so uh, every day for the parent with their child, for the Christian parent with their child, is a day of teaching and encouragement and admonition and correction and, and, and uh, just imparting of truth to the child. And this is also, I think, a huge problem with the modern day um, educational system where children are being literally bombarded and manipulated and trained to think like worldly, fleshly, atheistic people where perversions and dark philosophies are introduced to their little minds uh, by people they think they can trust, by adults, and certainly they can trust them because their parents put them there. And so... We shouldn't be surprised that we find this upcoming generation very ignorant in the scriptures and ignorant in the ways of the Lord, inundated by the ideologies of this world. And so parent, with your kid, when you wake up, when you're hanging out the house, when you're going about life throughout the day, toward the end of the day, when you go to sleep, you help your child see all of life through the perspective of God and God's truth. This is your duty, parent. This is your calling. This is the Christian parent's duty and obligation. Uh, buy your children Bibles. Expose them to the best preachers when they're growing up. Buy them theology books. They'll develop a taste for it. They will. And very often what you see in a young person who hit their 20s and 30s is the product of how they've been raised. Whether or not they have affection for these things is often largely due to the parent and how the parent has or has not trained up the child. We are to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Parents are also to bring correction to their children. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his rod hates his son. Please, if you're one of those parents who said, well, my parent, my child didn't read, nearly need discipline, please don't tell that to me because I, I think there was a wrong process in your thinking. Um, there's not a child who ever passes through this world that doesn't need some measure of discipline to correct them. And it says that if you don't, you don't love your child. And he who loves him disciplines him diligently. This is not me. This is God saying, you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. You say, well, of course I love them. Well, God says, if you don't, you don't love them. Because children need that correction in their lives to not only be trained in the truths of God, but to learn early the consequence and the pain of sin in their lives. They need to associate in their thinking sin, pain, Sin, loss, it's a fundamental basic truth so that when they grow up and they become big people and they're taller and stronger and they have more freedom, 
they have learned that lesson so that as they face life before God, they've not only, be trained, not only been trained by their parents to, to view all of life through God's word, but to view rebellion against God and defiance against the Lord as sin, as loss, as painful as death. One of the things I think is absolutely critical when you discipline your children is you sit them down and you talk about what did you do? What was your motivation in doing this? Why did you do this? What does God say about this? What should I do as a parent if I love you? And a wise child will say you should discipline me. We really are missing out on God's design for children. This is not really a class of time on Parenting, that would involve a lot more, but I think we need to understand that part of God's design for marriage is that the children would be taught and shepherded by their parents in the home. One more verse that we could look at, and there's so many more, but again, like I said, we'd end up in a, in a series on uh, parenting. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. You know, there are some parents who misunderstand their purpose of teaching and discipline, and they think that it's just to sort of get the kid to stop the bad stuff. So they train up these little legalists who don't understand the purpose of obeying the Lord and the joy of obeying the Lord and how it connects to the gospel. And so parents can discourage the child by constantly berating them. In fact, I would argue never berate your child but rather teach them why God says what he does so that when you correct them, they understand that you're doing it in love for their well-being. So if you're just a legalist and a discipliner, you're going to have a bunch of angry children to deal with when they grow up. They're going to defy and rebel against God. Instead, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So mere legalism and, and uh, chastisement and even the rod really can miss the mark because it's really about bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You're trying by God's great grace to shape that child's perspective on life and the world so that they view all things according to God's purpose. And that includes the great joy and peace and reward of obedience but never apart from the gospel. So that they aren't little legalists, but they realize that obedience is not something just required in the home because God says to children, honor your father and mother, obey them, but that it is connected to salvation as the fruit of salvation. So that you're daily evangelizing that child so that that child might understand that everything as far as obedience is done in response to the God who has saved them, out of love for the God who has saved them, out of trust in the God who has saved them, that his ways are right, his ways are true, his ways are peaceful and joy-giving. So part of the reason for marriage is raising up children. Another purpose, another reason for marriage is that marriage pictures Christ and his bride. The church. Look again at our main text now, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And one of the things that I think parents need to be very careful with in raising their daughters is that uh, 
that they teach their daughters respectfulness and humility and grace and tenderness in their lives. And, and this will apply to young men as well, but since we're focusing on the wives at this point, uh, we need to teach the children, the, the young ladies, how to properly deal with their emotions. Okay? You don't want a cold-hearted woman. You want a woman who, who expresses the, the grace and the compassion and the gentleness, the tenderness and the kindness of a godly woman, but a woman who knows how to let the Spirit of God rule her life, rule her emotions, rule her feelings. There are things that can happen to children, to young ladies and young boys, if you don't train them up in the ways of the Lord and show them uh, the limits that God has established for them, they can lose control. And there are certain things young men do when they're not disciplined and trained coming up, and that's another subject we'll deal with when we get to young men, but there's things that young women can do when they're not disciplined and not trained up. You know, there's kind of this popular, famous uh, Karen thing that we've all been seeing on the internet of uh, young women who are not controlling themselves, who lose their minds and who lash out and get angry. I saw a video the other day of a woman who went through a pet store kicking puppy cages and slapping people, um, people losing their, their emotions. But again, the goal of parenting the young lady is not just to bring the fleshly tendencies under control, but that she might be a godly woman reflecting the church in her submission to Christ. And so this will help to produce in a young lady the kind of character that will make her into the Proverbs 31 woman. One of the things I, I will tell you, and I mentioned this before, I will tell you about our daughters, is they have a tenderness and a gentleness and a kindness that is befitting a godly woman, but they never, ever milk their emotions. Ever. I don't know if I've ever seen it. As a matter of fact, if there's even the slightest kind of off-center thing, it's very common to hear one of our daughters come up and say, would you forgive me for any issue in what I said or thought or, or whatever? And they're, they're so close to being plumb center that I don't think most people would even notice the things that they come and repent for. And so there, there should be a tenderness, a self-controlledness, if I can coin a word here, that, that will help that young lady grow up so that she delights in being subject to her own husband. Because I'll tell you this, for the ladies here to submit to your husband as to Christ, there is no husband who is as good as Christ. So there's a challenge there because you're being called by God to submit to a man who will not always perfectly reflect Christ before you, will not always reflect the wisdom of Christ. And certainly if he were ever to try to lead you into something that is sinful or wicked, you cannot go there, you cannot uh, submit to that. But there is a trust that a godly woman places in the Lord in his command that they are to be subject to their husbands as the church is to Christ in a way that has a dependency on the ways and things of the Lord that enables her to be at peace by being respectful to her husband and honoring him. I was listening to Paul Washer one time and he was talking about how one of the most powerful things that a woman can bring in her relationship to her husband is her submission to him. 
It's not only one of the great tools for subduing him when he's in rebellion. That's what Peter says. The Spirit says to Peter, wives, if any of your husbands is, is in disobedience, it's not that you're never to speak to them at all in any measure, but that you are to approach them quietly, submissively, in gentleness, and a, a godly man will be broken by that respectful approach. Whereas if you come home and, and you're browbeating someone, I mean, the wife's browbeating you, then as a man, you want to get back at her which is not right either, and we'll talk to guys about that. But Paul Washer was saying, you know, if, if my wife has had a difficult day, and I've had a difficult day, and I come home, and having had a difficult day, she hasn't prepared the meal, and he says, I'm hungry, and I, I want to eat, and, and, I, and I get a little flustered as to why the meal isn't ready. He says, if she lashes back at me, he goes, as a man, you guys know what I'm saying. It's like, okay, game on. Not right, we'll talk to the men about that when we get to men, but we tend to want to then not be like, wow, sweetheart, I'm so sorry you've had a difficult day. We tend to bristle up and that curse of Genesis three where we will tend to rule tyrannically comes up and we, we react to that in, in a, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna fight about this. Whereas Peter tells us that when when there's that gentle, quiet spirit, Paul Washer applies that. He says, if, if, if I do that and I have a bad attitude, when I walk through the door at the end of the day and my wife is gentle to me and gracious, he says, and I have barked at her, he says, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk out of my house into my woodshed, grab a two by four and begin to smack my head with that wood knowing that I have been a jerk. He says, I'm going to go back into that house and ask her forgiveness and begin to relate to her as I should because the powerful weapon, ladies, and, I, and not that you would use it this way as a weapon, but the way to win the husband is with graciousness and submission because when you respond to him in that way, it is far more powerful than any other kind of response that you can give to him. So wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. The reminder, the husband is the head of the wife. You know, I said to my wife, I said, I know it must be difficult to subject yourselves to an imperfect man. It must be hard. It's always hard to one degree. It's hard to lead, but it's hard to be subject. It's hard for children to be subject to imperfect parents and for wives to be subject to imperfect husbands. Just as citizens, it's hard to be subject to imperfect governance. And as soldiers, it's hard to be submissive to imperfect drill sergeants. As employees, it's hard to be subject to a difficult boss. But God has designed authority and submission as a part of his creation. It's a part of what keeps order. It's a part of what shows us the relationship of Christ to the church and the church to Christ. We need order, we need authority, we need submission in the world, that's how things function. That's why there are leaders in the church who are to be servants, but we need leadership. That's why we need leadership in government. They're not always perfect, they're often a big letdown, but there is to be an understanding of the Christian as to the principle of authority and submission. This is why we wanna train our children and discipline our children 
so that they would learn to be contented in that position of submission. We're all submitted to some kind of authority, and ultimately we're all under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a principle that the husband is the head of the wife. That's the reason scripture says elsewhere that this is why God made Adam first. Um, ladies, if God wanted you to be the leader in the home, he would have made you a man. It's, it's that simple. I know that sounds terribly in this world uh, cliche and uh, misogynistic, but this is scripture. This is God speaking with these particular truths. And it's just the fallen world that is in rebellion. We saw this in the fall when the Lord came walking in the garden of the cool, in the cool of the day and he confronts Adam and Eve and he says, here's what your problem's gonna be. Men, you're gonna be tempted to, to rule tyrannically. I think what we see a lot of today is not just tyrannical rule, but passivity. Passivity in a man is really bad for a nation. If you're ready for a nation to fall prey to foreign nations, you find a nation filled with passive men. They can be easily conquered. Ladies, do you really want to live in a nation where the men are easily conquered? Where the men are weak? The men are not men of integrity, where they do not stand up for the truth? Where they not defend their homes and defend their country? There is a, a reason and a place for submission. It helps to help the the household run well and under control. Kimberly will tell you over the years, a lot of times when we've done premarital counseling, sometimes the husband has been a jerk and he's done stupid things and I'll sit down and have times of counsel with him. But what often causes it to spin out of control is when the wife just refuses to submit. More divorce, divorces come from that than almost anything else. It's just this unwillingness to extend patience, mercy, grace, forgiveness to an imperfect man. So just be aware that God has placed the husband as the head of the wife, just as Christ. And here's the illustration. Christ is also head of the church. Is there any question about his headship? Now, here's the issue. Are you questioning or would you question the wisdom of the Holy Spirit when he says to Christian women, I want you to be subject to your own husbands as the church is to Christ? Do you think the Holy Spirit's aware of the imperfection of men? That no man other than Christ can perfectly reflect Christ? No, and so there is a special challenge for the woman to learn a gracious submissiveness in her life, a respectfulness for her husband in life. You know, it says of the woman that she doesn't speak poorly of him around others. One of the things that, and, and ladies mark this out, don't talk to others about the failings of your husband as a practice. Now, I'm not speaking about extreme cases where there might be something greater than that involved, where you'd have to get authorities involved or whatever kind of thing because of a severe issue. But in general, there is something respectful to, to the husband to know that the lady 
His wife has his back. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. There is a, a true sense in which, an ultimate sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is the redeemer of the body of, the, of Christ, his own body. He has died for her. He's laid his life down for her. He saves her through his life, death, resurrection, through his intercession, through the hope of his return. He is the savior of the body of Christ. And so too, this is part of why God has designed that the husband be the protector, be the breadwinner in the home, be the one who guards the home from spiritual danger. We need that kind of leadership in the home as Christ leads the church and is the savior of the body. Your, your wife ought to know that you, you love her so much that you protect her. This is part of the way that a husband is to, to love his wife, is to guard her and protect her and nourish her and cherish her and, and keep her from the evils of this world. Man, this is a key reason why you don't just bring any movie into your home or any TV program into your home. You guard that home as the leader, as the guardian of that home to prevent worldliness from coming into your household. And you're the teacher, the pastor, the trainer of that home. Yes, the, the wives have the teaching of God's wisdom on their lips. They train up the children. She speaks of the things of the Lord. But, but men, you are the one responsible for guarding the household from evil. and from helping to shape the thinking of your wife and children, to point them to the things of the Lord, to follow the Lord faithfully. So, Jesus is the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also their wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Obviously, the exception would be if the husband is leading you into some kind of sinful behavior or thought or conduct. But, but other than that, there is a sense in which just as the church submits itself to Christ, that word means to, to rank under, not necessarily in the church uh, with the wife to her husband as being less important, but there is authority and submission there. And so the wife, like the church, is to see her husband as the head and the leader in the home. Um, there are wonderful ways that a godly woman can encourage her husband in godliness, but um, nagging and browbeating won't accomplish that goal. If you want a disappointing husband, then keep doing that. And unless just God gets a hold of them independently, that kind of reaction to the husband will not encourage him in godliness. Um, again, we're going to let the guys have it biblically in a good way when we get to them, but, but just understand God's design for the wife, part of the design for marriage. Um, reason number six, again, we're going to approach all of this again when we're, we're addressing men. Marriage is also for pleasure and for delight, for companionship. That's one of the things we looked at earlier, but, but there is to be pleasure within marriage. That's part of God's design. 
He wants there to be a joy in the intimacy between a husband and his wife. I'll just give you one passage that we have in Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It says there in the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, this is the woman here, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore, the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I wish I could impact that because there's some of those verses that could incline us to misunderstanding, not because of the text, but because of the way the world thinks. But the idea here is that the the woman delights in the love of her husband. And there are so many verses that we could look at. So let's look now more directly at some direct instruction. Uh, Look back at Ephesians 5.21. We've just touched on this a bit. We saw, first of all, in a study a few weeks ago that we are to be mutually submissive to one another within the body of Christ. Even a leader in the Christian community, in the church, in the home, the the dad, the husband, uh, the pastor, we are to lead as servants. And, And this is getting a little bit into the realm of God's instruction for men, but this is important that we understand that the way we are to lead our husband is the our wives, don't wanna make a mistake in that today. Uh, the way we're to lead our wives is that we're to love them and lead them the way Jesus loves the church. And so if our conduct is not in alignment, men, with the way Christ would lead the church, we know that we are out of line. So there is to be a mutual submission within the body of Christ and home. Um, pastor is to be a servant leader. The husband is to be a servant leader. Father is to be a servant leader. There is leadership there but he is to see himself as a servant. Notice in verse 21, who is being addressed in verse 21? Now that we've moved from the general instruction of mutual submission um, in verse 21, notice the word subject. That word subject drops down to verse 22. Okay, so you're like, if you, you might notice in your Bibles that be subject is in italics in Verse 22, that's because that term, be subject, drops down as the verb supplied in verse 22. So when it says be subject to one another in verse 21, that be subject drops down to wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And this theme, we've talked about this before, this theme in this section in Ephesians then follows a trajectory of authority and submission. Wives are to be subject to their own husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Children are to obey their parents, Ephesians 6.1. Slaves are to be obedient to their masters, Ephesians 6 verses 5 and 6. So authority and submission run through this whole text. Wives are to be subject to their own husbands, okay? But there's one thing I want to point out here. Yes, it's true. In Ephesians 5.22, the word subject isn't there. It's supplied from verse 21. And I have heard occasionally people say, ah, well then, is it really true that wives are to be subject to their husbands since that verb is not in verse 22? Yes, it is. Turn to Ephesians or look at Ephesians 5.24. As the church is subject to Christ, and the word is there, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands. 
So there's a more direct reference that clearly the verb from verse 21 that says we're to be subject to one another is to be supplied in verse 22 because there is no verb in verse 22. The only way literarily to get a verb in verse 22 is to borrow it from verse 21. But even more clearly in verse 24, the whole church is told to be subject to Christ and that word is there, so also the wives to their own husbands. But to get even clearer, In Colossians 3.18, in the parallel text, it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, and the word is there in Colossians 3.18. It's actually in that verse. Likewise, in Titus 2, verse 5, older women, mature women are to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. The word is there also. Very, very clear. First uh, Peter three one to four um, says this: In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. So the word is there also. So anybody who would ever try to get away with sort of squeezing Ephesians five twenty two out and saying, well, maybe wives aren't to be subject to their husbands, you have to deal with all the other texts where the word is clearly there. It is clearly the teaching of Scripture. So. In our time remaining tonight, what are some of the things that we can learn regarding the wives being subject to their own husbands? And I I want to emphasize that, first of all, it is to your own husband. It's not all women be subject to all men. It's to your own husband. He is the head of your own home and the head of the marriage. And so this is repeated when there are instructions to women that this is in regard to your own husband. And to no other man in this way. Ephesians 5.22, again, wives be subject to your own husbands. Ephesians 5.24, so also wives to their their husbands. Titus 2.3, being subject to their own husbands. 1 Peter 3.1-4, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husband. So this is, this is uniquely the husband and the wife. This is their relationship, Right? This doesn't give men some right to walk around bossing all women. That would be definitely unbiblical. There ought to be a graciousness in the way men conduct themselves around their sisters in the Lord that is very dignified and God-honoring and respectful. Same is true of the husband to the wife, but he is the one in her life that is uniquely placed in her marriage to be the leader in that home, okay? So repeatedly, your own husband, your own husband, your own husband. And then we want to ask in what way, in what manner are wives to be subject to their own husbands? Well, look at verse 22, Ephesians 5. It is first of all, as to the Lord. So as we think of our own relationship to Christ, our own relationship to our creator, our sustainer, our our savior, the true and living God, wives are to bring to that relationship a similar submission. Not that the husband is God or it can never be wrong, but there is a reverence, a respect toward the husband to submit to him as to the Lord. It says even of Sarah that she called Abraham what? Lord. I mean, you want to freak out modern day feminists, just read that verse to them and they'll just lose it right there on the spot. But it's not the tyrannical lordship that we see in the curse in the garden, but it is rather a loving lordship. What kind of lordship does Jesus exercise 
over his bride? Is it tyrannical, cruel, vindictive? Nothing like that at all. So um, although we're talking to women, I would just say to men, try by God's grace and prayer, time in the word and faithfulness to subdue your fleshly tendencies to be a tyrannical ruler and learn more and more how to lead your home as Jesus does his church. Yes, she is called to be subject to you, but make it as easy on her as possible. (laughs) You know, don't be that jerk. Don't be that man who's, you know, berating her or doesn't praise her. Like we see in Proverbs 31, that her husband rises up and calls her blessed. Show her attention, be with her, focus upon her, care for her, lead her in love, gentleness, godliness. We'll, we'll talk more when we get to the men there. But I do want to say this, since the wife is called to submit to you as to the Lord, then you seek to be as much like Christ as possible, men. The reason, verse 23 again, the husband is the head. That's by God's design. And the illustration is as the church is to Christ. So we're mirroring and reflecting the relationship of the church to Christ in the home. And it is to be in everything. Um, A little bit further as to the picture of how women are to be subject to their own husbands. If you go to Titus 2 for a moment, and I'm mindful of the time, we'll wrap it up here, but it says here, first of all, that that older women are to be reverent. That term here means godly, holy, God-honoring, self-control. There there is a dignity, not a frivolous foolishness, to a godly woman who has learned to be someone who just exudes godliness in her life. Do you know women like that in your world? Uh, Moms or grandmothers, sisters, ladies, you're to be those who are just dignified in your behavior. It's not that there's not time for fun, but there, again, if I can't stop praising my own wife with Kimberly, there is such a dignity in her conduct. And I want to ask you, ladies, you've known Kimberly for a while. Have you ever seen her be foolish in her behavior or out of control? There's a dignity and a joy that she brings with her as she goes through life. Be reverent. Don't be malicious gossips. Verse three, this is another way that a woman is to conduct herself. She doesn't go around spreading dirt all the time, you know, just kind of gabbing. And not that men can't gossip, but to be really honest, we don't tend to really care as much about everything that's going on in certain people's lives. And so that's not as great a weakness for, for men, but dignified, godly women are to learn to control their tongue and they're not to just always be speaking dirt about how they're frustrated with this or upset with that. and They don't like what their husband's doing over here or this or that. And and that kind of thing is unbecoming a godly woman. And, And older, wiser godly women are to sort of help curb that tendency to complain. Right? Is the Bible off the mark in saying that there are issues here of potential gossip and slander and complaint? This is not good. Men do this too, but we know that Scripture repeatedly talks about the fact that, uh, for example, um, 
for a man who has a complaining wife, it says more than once in scripture, they'd rather live on their roof than in the house with them. Men have their problems, women have their problems. Ladies, make sure that as you speak, your, your speech is dignified and reverent and not given to gossip. Obviously, next not enslaved to much wine or any other kind of substance. A godly woman is under control at all times and that kind of loss of control connected to alcohol or substance is something a godly woman will avoid. Titus 2.3 says she is a woman who teaches what is good. That reminds us of Proverbs 31, the teaching of wisdom is on her lips. Know the scriptures, ladies, well, to, to talk to the other ladies, to talk to your children, uh, to converse with your husband, to give witness in your life. You teach what is good. Verse four, it says in Titus 2 that these godly women are to encourage the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Let me ask you a question. What is the mindset and the mentality of the current world? Is it this? Women, love your husbands and love your children. Is that, is that the narrative on the wind today? What is it? Get rid of those turkeys, right? You don't need no man and you don't need no children. And so the sphere of the church, along with the encouragement of godly women, is encourage the younger women, love your husband. And this tells us that sometimes husbands can be difficult to love. And this is why, in part, we have this series on love we just went through to look at what it means to really love. Love your husband, love your children. Be joyful and content in the life that God has given you. There is a time and a place for a godly woman, yes, to encourage her husband in the truth. Yeah, there are times in my life where very respectfully, Kimberly has come alongside and encouraged me to consider something that maybe I hadn't considered or to point out a, a failing, and she does it very gently most of the time. <laughs> but, 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 you know, this, this is an issue that really has an impact when it is approached uh, gently. Love your husbands, love your children. A lot of ladies file for divorce because they want to escape their husband and their children. I mean, that is what drives it above everything else. And a lot of times, if they go after another man, it's because they think that they found someone who will meet their needs more and care for them more, and so they'll just be discontented with one and want to move on to the other. Women are to be sensible. Titus 2.5, that means they are thoughtful and biblical in their thinking. They are pure in their life. Verse 5, there is a purity to a godly woman. Wow, is ever impurity on the wind today. I mean, it's everywhere. From immodesty to rebellion and defiance and partying, impurity is something that, um, it's almost like the world wants to see how far it can go to make the women of this world as impure as possible. And that is a, fail, a failure, by the way, of male leadership in the government, in our institutions of learning, in the homes. Who's responsible for pornography? Who? Men. Men are. 
If men stood up together and said, that's it, no more, pornography would stop like that overnight. It's our job to protect, to guard, to keep pure. A couple more points, and we'll pray after that. Women are to be work- workers at home, oikonomos. Literally, the woman's primary sphere of employment, if you will, is in the home. That's her primary sphere of care, to care for the household and the husband and the children. Wish we had time, more time for some of this, but we're really outside of our main text and we're into Titus. And then finally, godly women are to be kind. They're to be kind. There's to be a kindness, not an abrasiveness in their lives as they seek to interact with their husbands. We'll say a little bit more next week, and I think we'll actually have time to get into looking at men next week. I think if anything, God is harder on the men and actually typically has more to say to the men. And so we're going to look at at men. So ladies, don't, don't fear we're getting there. But I would just exhort this. Trust your God. Trust your Lord and his design. There's a very special calling to be in that position of submission. I think there's a special challenge to being in that position. It can be really hard when there's imperfections in the leader. And the Lord, I think, ultimately is calling the godly woman to trust him, to trust in him. And there are powerful ways that a woman can influence her husband over time in a way that will sort of bend what might be his stubbornness and might be other issues in his life. You can sow incredible seeds in the life of your husband, the lives of your children, the lives of the other women in the church and and those in the church in ways that, that I think many women don't know about or don't really pursue. There is something to be said about behind every great man is a wonderful, great woman. A lot of who I am is because of my wife. And I'm not claiming to be even remotely as near, as Christ-like as I should be, but a good part of me moving closer to Christ throughout my life is because of her godliness and her influence on my life. I, I literally couldn't be a pastor without the support of my wife. She plays such an important role. Um, That's why a lot of times when you see the really godly pastors, go look at their wives. You're going to see amazing ladies that are there. Not a perfect relationship. Every relationship has its challenges. But you're going to see more and more that husband reflecting Christ and more and more that wife reflecting not just Christ, but the church in relationship to Christ. Marriage that is filled with the Spirit, where Christ is the center, can really overcome, as far as the relationship, so much of the curse, so that the home becomes this safe haven from the world, a joyful place to be, a place of peace and calm, a place of protection from the world, a place of happiness and blessing as you go through life together. I would say literally other than our direct relationship with Christ, that there is literally nothing in this world that is so joyful as a godly marriage. 
that is so so blessed to be involved with than to be married to a godly individual. So be encouraged when it comes to marriage and trust the Lord's design. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, the world doesn't understand why in the world a Christian woman would go along with this truth and these commands. It's everything that's the opposite of today's feminist philosophies, which oddly enough is now more than ever revealing its ugly satanic head as being very profoundly, grotesquely anti-woman. To see in an anti-woman philosophy, all that you have to do is, is look at feminism today, God, and what you see is that no one hates women more than many women. They don't want women to be women. They want them to be men. And so, Father, I pray for the, your daughters here in this congregation, that they would take joy in the dignity of their own calling in life as a wife, as a mom, as a, as a grandmother, as, as a woman whose godliness is well-pleasing in your sight. Let them see that this is a powerful testimony to the angels, to the church, to their husbands, to their children who honor such amazing godly strength in a woman who exudes proper submission and a life of contentedness that loves her husband, loves her children, loves to serve the home and is not tempted by the world and the clamorings of the world to follow a different way of living that promises what it can never deliver. The joys of raising up a family that is following Christ and the many blessings that come with that so that when they stand before the Lord Jesus, they will hear, well done now, good and faithful servant. Help our women to be these godly women. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.